Welcome to It's All Political, the San Francisco Chronicle's political podcast. I'm Joe Garofoli, the Chronicle's senior political writer, and today our guest is Congresswoman Barbara Lee, and her appearance couldn't be more timely. She has a new piece of legislation that would create a racial healing and truth commission. She also tells us, as in me and Tal Copen, the Chronicle's Washington correspondent, about what white people can do to be good allies at this time. And she tells us who she wants to see as Joe Biden's running mate. And now, here is our conversation with Congresswoman Barbara Lee. Congresswoman Barbara Lee, from your home in Oakland to my home in Oakland, to Tal Copen's home in Washington, D.C., welcome back to It's All Political. Go ahead, Tal. Um, so, Congresswoman, we wanted to start with your proposal to create a racial healing and truth commission. Uh, and we wanted you to explain what the bill would do. And also, uh, if you could tell us whether you expect it will be included in legislation that the Congressional Black Caucus is going to recommend be voted on by the House this month. Sure. Thanks very much. Um, and let me just um, say to everybody how, how pleased I am to be with you and that I hope everybody is healthy, safe, and still maintaining physical distancing and adhering to all of the health requirements that this pandemic um, requires. I um, have been working for three years, quite frankly, on this resolution that we're introducing uh, Thursday, tomorrow. And what it calls for is the establishment of a commission as it relates to truth, racial healing, and transformation. What um, what we know in this country uh, is very little in, in a lot of respects about why and how uh, systemic racism uh, looks and what it means. Uh, many countries around the world, such as Rwanda after the genocide, um, the terrible, brutal genocide in Rwanda, established a, a similar commission, but not within their own context. But the truth has to be told with regard to the historical context in which we witness, say, for example, the uh, disproportionate rates of uh, black and brown people dying from COVID-19 or the systemic racism that's involved in our educational system or in the uh, police murders uh, that we witness in the criminal justice system. And so it's about truth telling. It's about putting in context the last 400 years, 400 years last year commemorated the 400th year of the uh, Middle Passage since the first enslaved individuals, people were brought from the continent of Africa to America. And so we've had many, many struggles in this country that a lot that have led to not breaking quite all of the chains of slavery. And if people go to the, the uh, lynching museum in Alabama or to the Peace and Justice Memorial there, they will see the context in which African-Americans uh, are still living in terms of the impact of the last 400 years on the policies of today. And so this commission will set forth uh, the facts and all of the human rights violations that have occurred in America so that we can really come to grips with this because this country has never done that. We've been through many civil rights, human rights struggles. We, we shattered the segregation laws, Jim Crow. We've done a lot, so we've come a long way, but we've never dealt with uh, the impact and the, the today's manifestation of the vestiges of slavery. Neither have we dealt 
with uh, the genocide of the Native Americans and all of the other human rights violations. And so this commission will be very uh, important because we'll be part of the world community finally acknowledging uh, what has taken place, place so that we can move forward towards some healing. Because you know we have to do this. People don't understand why African-Americans, for example, uh, are disproportionately um, incarcerated. They, they don't quite see that. Uh, and so that has to happen. And then we have to say, we're gonna transform the society and not go back to the old order. We just can't do that. We have to have policies and programs and funding priorities and institutions that are gonna be rebuilt based on this new knowledge that people really in a lot of ways don't even have. And so that's what this commission is about. Uh, we're working hard. The speaker has mentioned it several times to get it into onto the floor. I'm not sure if it will be part of the package or how we're going to do that. But we have probably 50, 55 co-sponsors, and I'm, you know, we'll be trying to get Republicans because I want it to be bipartisan, because everybody has a stake in this. And and so uh, thank you for asking about that. But I hope people will help us organize to get more co-sponsors so we can get brought to the floor. Well, speaking speaking of everybody as a part of this, um, the, the the protests here in Oakland, as you know, and across the country have been have been very multiracial for the most part. But what about going forward? I want to hear what advice you have for white folks who want to be good allies, not only in the near term with these protests, but in the long term. How can they use their white privilege to help? Very important. And I think this is a seminal moment in terms of who's out in the streets. You know, we have allies. We have a coalition white people, people of color, everyone. I mean, and I'm, of course, coming from the Bay Area, from the East Bay, we pride ourselves on, on protesting and hitting the streets. I call it street heat. And so we have to capture this moment and know that what affects one affects all. And so with regard to our white allies, understand that being an ally of the African-American community to address systemic racism affects you also. And in fact, this is a struggle that should be uh, a struggle for everyone, with everyone, because we have not had uh, the type of alliances that we need to really shatter these chains of systemic racism. And so helping us in elections, that's one way. Helping us um, mobilize uh, to make sure that it, just in California, the members of the California delegation support the Congressional Black Caucus, sign on as co-sponsors. The Congressional Black Caucus has a package of criminal justice reform bills that we're putting forth. Call your member of Congress saying support the Black Caucus. Uh, we're, we came to Congress, 55 of us, to address systemic racism and to help put, move this country forward, to gain the soul of it, America. And so it's in everyone's interest to do this. Help us do the work that needs to take place to change public policy so we can, yes, transform this country. And along those lines, you know, as someone who has been in this fight for decades, how would you put this moment we're experiencing in context? And how would you encourage a young person to, you know, persevere through what might feel like a very demoralizing time and keep up the fight, as you call it? Well, I always, um, you know, even though I don't like to personalize a lot of this, I share a couple of personal stories. So young people will understand this is a marathon. You, you can't just break uh, 400 years of, chain, of people who have been oppressed overnight. 
but but we have to fight. When I was born, my mother uh, needed a C-section and she wasn't admitted into the hospital because she was black and she almost died. I almost didn't get here. And so that's the beginning of my life, just fighting to live, fighting to survive. My dad was in the, in the army. He was an army officer. We were told many times we couldn't eat at certain restaurants, couldn't go to theaters and what have you, because we were black. Wanted to buy a house in San Leandro when I was a child. And in fact, in his army uniform, he was turned back and he, he and my mother never could buy a house in San Leandro because they were black. But guess what? I represent San Leandro today, okay? And when you look at um, how far we've come, I mean, there have been so many people. I remember the poll tax and when people, when black people couldn't vote and, and the barriers that have been placed before us then and now. And so for young people, uh, I'd encourage them to, to keep fighting because they're gonna take over this world. They have the ideas and the vision on climate, on equity, on dismantling systemic racism. And so we need them just as um, I worked closely with the Black Panther Party as a community worker. We were watching the police then uh, because of the brutality in our communities. And I was a student on public assistance raising two small boys at Mills College. <laughs> and I was active. And, and so you cannot lose hope. You cannot give up because this is a long-term struggle and we have to run this lap of the race with every fiber in your body because we've got to have a country that's gonna live up to its commitment of liberty and justice for all. And so as a black woman, and again, I tell young people, look at black women, look at what we've endured. Look what black men have endured and still we rise. So that didn't mean, it, it didn't mean we uh, got frustrated at some point or didn't uh, believe that things could happen, but we didn't give up. And so the changes, the small changes we've seen, because in many ways Trump has taken us back 50 years, but the changes that we've seen is because we didn't give up. And so you can't, um, you can take time to reflect but you have to work hard for systemic change. And so I'm really encouraging young people to be inspired by those who came before and be inspired by, for instance, Shirley Chisholm, who was the first black woman elected to Congress. Now we have 20 some black women, not enough, but you know, she was the first. And so they have to be inspired by the history of this country in terms of breaking through many of these barriers and know they've got to help us break through the rest of them. Speaking of uh, black women, young black women, let's talk about uh, the race for vice president. You were an early uh, and vocal supporter of Senator Kamala Harris for president. How did how did the recent stuff that's happening right now change the race, if you will, for for vice president? Jim Clyburn, uh, Congressman Jim Clyburn, said that Amy Klobuchar was not not a good time for her right now. She might be a drag in a ticket. Do you agree? And 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 must Biden pick a black woman now? I saw I saw an event a couple of weeks ago with you and Stacey Abrams. You were uh, you you two look like uh, old, old long lost friends. You were it was a mutual uh, cheerleading club. Well, let there. me tell you, I went down and I've known Stacey a long time, even before she, you know, yeah, yeah. Went during voter registration drives in Georgia. Because I like many of my constituents, we go to states where they need our help during um, campaigns. And so I've known Stacey a long time. And, and yes, I endorsed Kamala, very vocal about it. I think I called you when I was going <laughs> to 
Yes, you did. <laughs> we will, we'll get to that later. You know, Don't worry. No advice. But uh, that was after, you know. But um, I said that we need to have a black woman on the ticket. I'm sorry. I'm not going to say anything about anybody else other than we need an African American woman on that ticket. Black women have been the backbone of this Democratic Party. We're smart. We understand what unity means. We're tough. We understand the Constitution. We've been through so much in this country until who else has that kind of experience and perspective to really get in there and bring people together and help lead this country? Uh, black women, um, you know, deserve to be the commander in chief, quite frankly. And that's why I was proud to support um, Senator Harris because uh, I wanted her to be president. We will return to our conversation with Barbara Lee after this short break. And now, here's more of our conversation with Congresswoman Barbara Lee. You, you mentioned climate a little bit ago. You and I have spoken before on this very podcast about the importance of, you know, racial, racial justice and cannabis reform, um, environmental justice. You know, we talk about having a Black woman on the ticket or policing in this moment, but how is important is it to see the role of race across so many different policy areas like you do? Well, we're at that moment where uh, intersectionality comes into play. And we have to see where we have common interests and common allies and common issues. And when you look, for example, at uh, climate, when you look at the disproportionate uh, impacts of, of health disparities in communities of color, where black women, women of color, people of color live, the polluters have really uh, shortened our lives in a lot of respects. Climate change is real. And so as a woman, it's going to impact women around the world. And, and it is impacting women around the world in, in horrific ways. And, and so you have to kind of look at women and Black women's voices on all of these issues. In Congress, we have uh, Congresswoman Maxine Waters, who chairs the Financial Services Committee. I mean, she takes on Wall Street. She wants fairness in our financial institutions. You have Eddie Bernice Johnson, who chairs the Science and Technology Committee. I mean, we have, you know, 14 or 15 African-American women who serve uh, as subcommittee chairs. I'm the highest ranking African-American woman official in our Democratic caucus. And so Black women have perspectives on every single policy in this country. I do a lot on foreign policy on international relations, do a lot at the United Nations. Black women have such a breadth of experience until uh, that's the, I think, moment, this is the moment where we need to capture all of that experience and all of that passion and bring it to the White House. Yeah, I, I, Congresswoman, remember a couple of years ago, I, uh, we, I talked to you for a story about the lack of black office holders in Northern California. And, uh, and, and, uh, and I believe the stat still holds true between, you were the only black member of Congress between Los Angeles and the Canadian border. Uh, and someday you will leave office, not anytime soon, of course. But um, if you're looking in the pipeline, who are some of the younger black politicians you see who could succeed you in yeah, and the East yeah I'm not calling names, but I'm telling you, I have mentored and worked with <laughs> many. No, 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 no. There are so, call no, one or two no, me one or two I'm names. Not do that. 
But I have to just say, uh, you know, I'm the only, still the only African-American woman north of Los Angeles who's ever been elected to Congress, who's ever been elected to California Senate, and who's ever been elected to the California Assembly. That is a shame and disgrace. And I think we talked about money and politics and coalition building and what's, yes. it, what's required. And so this is something, when you talk about systemic kind of issues, uh, African-American women uh, need to be elected, need to be uh, in all of these offices. And there's so many organizations that I work with that are creating the space and the background and trying to raise money to make sure they have that structure and that foundation to run. Because it, this California is a, is a different kind of place. I mean, when you look at California, only what, 6% of our population is black? My African-American population has gone down from 34 to about 18%. Uh, you have so many complex problems in California that uh, present themselves politically that we have to make sure that um, those alliances and that those coalitions are built over time. And, and Black women are in a unique position and do that all the time. And so when it comes to run for office, though, oftentimes <laughs> our allies abandon us. <laughs> yeah. and, and you know what I'm talking about on, on many fronts. <laughs> and so again, maybe this is a moment of soul searching for you know those who uh, say they want to see more African American women in, in office, but yet when it comes to that, the criteria and the the litmus test <laughs> is such that uh, you know they don't see African American women meeting that litmus test. I've seen this over and over and over and over again. You know, it, when you when you're speaking about this, I recall Kamala Harris telling me that when she was elected uh, Attorney General of California, I think she said she was either the only or one of two African American women who were elected to statewide office in the U.S. Yeah, but let me tell you even more than that. When Kamala ran, I endorsed her early, and you can go back and check the record. There were very few, if any, elected officials that endorsed Kamala Harris early on. And it finally in the last couple of weeks, and I had conversations with, I'm not gonna call names, but one top official told me, Barbara, this one on the airplane, do you think California is gonna elect a black woman as, a as their top cop? And he said, I don't think so. And this was when I was asking why he had not been in the race and supporting her. And so the record is very clear on, Kamala's race and how hard she had to work to win and how people just elected officials did not support her until if they supported her, it was at the very end. And what do you make of, you know, even now the question as to, it's so interesting to hear you say, are they really going to elect a black woman as the top cop? And now to see her record in law enforcement be considered a disadvantage. I mean, what do you make of that? That talking point against her? Well, first of all, she was a prosecutor. And as my grandson said, that was her job. <laughs> Secondly, I think when you look at her record on balance, you know, and she's acknowledged some of the, uh, you know, really uh, errors or, or perspectives that may not have been uh, broad enough. But I think she, as a prosecutor, even engaged in more uh, alternatives to incarceration and more tough love than most prosecutors do. And then her record as attorney general. And I mean, she fought the big banks and the financial institutions. She, you know, changed that whole office as it relates to racial equity, diversity, and inclusion. 
And so, you know, as attorney general, I think her record is very clear. And she's addressed her record very forth in a very forthright manner. Uh, and I think that people need to uh, understand what an attorney general does, their job. And I think that we, we see in Keith Ellison now as an example of what a phenomenal job he's doing. And so, yeah, in Minnesota. yeah in, I'm sorry, in Minnesota, who I served with for years in Congress and is a very, very good friend of mine. And, and so I think her experience, you know, is certainly very credible and certainly um, she knows the criminal justice system and certainly she knows how it needs reform and, and she did uh, quite a bit of that in California. All right. Congresswoman Barbara Lee, thank you so much for being back. And next time, will you name names? I want I you to not, name names I next time on everything. Not for this hiding. Come on. No. Nope. Come on. You, Barbara Lee speaks for I me, I thought. I want to hear I some names. Name names. <laughs> you wouldn't like that. That would not be fair. Yeah, you think she's lasted this long in Congress, Joe? <laughs> I know. Come on. You don't have any opponents. You got a safe seat. Come on. I don't. Right. I'm really happy to talk with you, and you guys stay healthy. I'd like to thank you all for listening, and I hope that you and your families are safe and healthy. I'd like to thank Congresswoman Barbara Lee, my representative in Congress, for joining us today. I'd like to thank my friend Tal Copen for being here, and I'd like to thank the Crate One, Karen Creighton, for producing today's episode. And remember, when you're not naming names, it's because it's all political. It's All Political is part of the San Francisco Chronicle Podcast Network. Audrey Cooper is our editor-in-chief. Our music, our theme music that we have is Cattle Call. That's written by Randy Clark and performed by Randy Clark and Crow Song. If you like this show, subscribe, rate, and review it on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. For more great journalism like this, subscribe to the San Francisco Chronicle at sanfranciscochronicle.com slash subscribe. You can find me on Twitter at Joe Garofoli. Thanks.